Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Cumming, Georgia, it's time for Forsyth Business Radio. And hello, friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Forsyth Business Radio. I am your host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo, and we are broadcasting live from the beautiful Chamber of Commerce here in Forsyth County, Georgia. I am joined in studio today by three amazing guests, one of which I am uh, very familiar with, but I don't know if our, our audience is. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bill Lampton. Thank you. You're welcome. Welcome to the show, Dr. Deanna Tyler. Hello. And also, Paul Webb. Hi, Amanda. Great to be here. Thank you. Of course. And I do just have to give a shout out to the two gentlemen joining us today as they are also podcasters. So it's exciting to interview them myself. And uh, we'll start with you, Dr. Bill. Okay. Bill Lampton, the biz communication guy is my tagline. I have been I would guess a, a communication devotee for a long time, really starting in college when I was, like many people, forced into a public speaking course. And I, I never realized I would be teaching that one day at the University of Georgia. But at that small college in a speech communication course, I was amazed at how if someone had an idea that they were committed to, they'd researched it well, they presented it well, they connected with their audience. They could not only change opinions, but they could even change actions. At the same time, I was a, I was a history major, so that I was looking at the, the hit, uh, great movements in history, and every one of them had a great communicator at the head of it. So I dedicated my life and career to the study of communication, Got my graduate degrees at Ohio University, taught at the University of Georgia. And then I decided to test whether or not all that theory was working. So I went into management for 20 years at the vice presidential level. In 1997, then decided to become a full-time communication consultant, professional speaker, and speech coach. Thank you for sharing, Dr. Bill. I look forward to unpacking some of those points here in just a moment. Dr. Diana, tell us a little bit about what you do. I realize I failed to, to mention your practice, and congratulations on your recent opening and ribbon cutting. Thank you so much. I just recently relocated to Cumming, Georgia, and opened up a practice called Aura Functional Neurology Center. This is a practice that's located close to downtown and it specializes in functional neurology, which is a holistic way for brain rehabilitation. So the practice is specializing in migraine as well as the sodonomia and traumatic brain injuries. So my background is pretty interesting. I come from chiropractic originally. And for me, you know, my whole premise of my career was to really basically understand migraine from every angle and to be able to provide and serve in that community. And that is because I am a migraine individual. I have family members who also suffer from chronic migraine and it really affects more people than we realize. I believe right now it's a second leading cause of disability in the world. So we're really talking about, you know, hundreds and millions of people who are dealing with chronic migraine. And right now our, our only options typically are medication route. And that works for a lot of individuals, but there's also many who are not responding to that and are in and out of the emergency room. So for my background, I started in chiropractic and I wanted to address all musculoskeletal components to migraine. That means looking at the neck and posture and everything that's involved within that. However, along my journey, I realized that really migraine is a neurological condition, which means that we really have to start looking at the areas of the brainstem. We have to start looking at the areas of the cortex. And with concepts of neuroplasticity and what we know about the brain is that we know we have an impact on changing the brain through various activities, exercises, and therapies. And so that is really what we do. We basically analyze brain function, and then we decide what treatments do we need to administer for each individual person. So for someone who is having migraines with uh, nausea and vomiting, in those cases, I know I'm looking at that lower brainstem, right? The nucleus tractus solitarius. So I can localize where this function is, and then I can test those areas of the brain and then try and provide therapeutic benefit. 
Um, another area that I specialize in also is functional nutrition. Uh, functional nutrition is basically looking at supplements and dietary changes and how all of that plays a role with conditions like migraine. So in cases like leaky gut, um, some other common comorbidities that you may have heard of like mold toxicity, right? These are all compounding um, and conflicting conditions that are also driving migraine for some individuals. You said so many things that I'm unfamiliar with. I can't wait to ask you some follow-up questions. I just want to congratulate you again for bringing your expertise to the coming area. I know that a lot of people will be helped by your knowledge. Thank you. Last but not least, welcome to the show, Paul Webb. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. For our listeners that don't know you here as a local sensation, Paul, tell them what you do. Yes, very blessed to be in retirement planning, working with a variety of ages, folks that are just out of college and starting their first job on up to being retired or near retirement. And I was very blessed from my early age. I got an economics degree from the Virginia Virginia Military Institute and uh, then went on and got a master's in business administration and finance from uh, University of Southern California. So that took me by coastal uh, and moved around a great deal and was able to work for the variety of companies uh, helping individuals with their retirement planning. So I've been very blessed to be in the coming area here for the last several years, and we're blessed to have thousands of clients that we serve and uh, love to help people um, provide a great retirement for themselves, start saving at an early age, and set it up so that their money grows and they enjoy a wonderful life. Your office is actually just like we could see it if we stepped outside. So right here, he's our neighbor here in Cumming, Georgia. And I do just have to say shout out as I am one of your clients. So Web Wealth Advisors and Retirement Planning for Paul Webb. Thank you guys for sharing about what you do. Uh, Because I know I can pick on you, Dr. Bill, I got to ask you a question. Did you hear about the restaurant that opened up on the moon? They didn't have one because it was no atmosphere. Great food, but no atmosphere. Now, Dr. Bill, that's kind of an intro to a direction that you and I are going to take this. This is a common mistake that speakers make in a business setting or other, and that's kind of opening up with a slapstick humor joke. I teach my uh, speech coaching clients, mostly executives and rising executives, that Certainly, they've been to many meetings, uh, civic meetings and conventions and conferences where it's almost assumed that the speaker is going to start with a joke. So that's the number one reason not to do that, because if it's ordinary, if that's what everybody else is doing, why do you want to do that? So it's much more effective if you would start with a story, a quotation, a startling statistic, or something else. But there are many other reasons not to start with a joke. Um, Most jokes, as we know, Amanda, have what we would call a fall guy. Most jokes have a victim. Okay, if you're the presenter and you're thinking, well, there's nobody in this audience that fits that category of the fall guy I'm, I'm talking about in the joke, I can go ahead and do it. But guess what? They might have sympathy with that. So it's, it's very risky to do that. A third reason I would give for not starting your, speak with, uh, your speech with a joke is because of the Internet. How are you going to tell something that somebody hasn't heard? And the illustration would be about the restaurant on the moon. Yes. <laughs> and you can Google the answer before you even have an opportunity to share the punchline. <laughs> So it's very rare that you would tell a joke that somebody had not heard. And then a fourth reason would be, let's leave the joke telling to the late night comics. Because even though, for example, I was was a golfer for many, many years, and the, the golf buddies always expected jokes out of me, and I expected jokes out of them, and we had a lot of fun with them. But that's a different type setting. And in a, in a presentation, it's much better to look at the risk that we're talking about and then 
find some other way to start your, your presentation. I'm not against humor. For example, self-deprecating humor <laughs> at the start would be okay. I, I'll give one quick example on that. I was, I was speaking years ago at an event in Atlanta. The guy who invited me said he would be there to introduce me. As it wound up about three days ahead, he let me know that he'd taken a trip out of the country and wouldn't be there. So I was able to say to, to the audience when somebody else introduced me, I've been a professional speaker a long time. This is first time that somebody invited me to speak and then left the country. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that's self-deprecating. That's okay. That's not picking on somebody else. And it's spontaneous and it relates to the incident. What would you suggest for the professionals out there that are presenting to a Women Connect group or that are speaking via Zoom? Zoom, um, or they have to address a, a body or an audience, what would you suggest an impactful way to kind of come out the starting gate would be? One of the trends that I've noticed among uh, veteran professional speakers is the recommendation that you get right to the point. It's certainly those of us who, who grew up in, in Georgia or anywhere else in the South, we we certainly have the tendency to look at our audience and say what a great privilege it is to be there and how much we know the host and how much we know some of the people and this is a lovely town and the, the meal was good and so on. But many of the professionals that I know suggest that when you're introduced to speak, get up and start your speech. That's what people are there for without greeting the audience or just a very succinct greeting? Yes. Now, that goes against my grain. <laughs> I have to say it goes against my grain. But I, I find that that's, that's uh, in our hurried, harried society, people say, get to the point. I forgot to let the audience know that I have a squirrel brain, so we're going to kind of just bounce around from, from things that may or may not relate. So kind of following that, ping, it is now your turn, Dr. Diana. When you were chatting before the show with us, you mentioned a very interesting story about you getting into chiropractic, and I'd love for you to reshare that, that story with our audience. Absolutely. I was actually exposed to chiropractic just through my family. Um, I moved to the U.S. when I was 12, and when I joined this family, going to a chiropractor was just the typical thing that you do. So when I decided that I was going to be a chiropractor to help those with migraine, I expected that everyone grew up that way. And it wasn't until I went to college and uh, took the most common major for that backing, which is exercise science, that I realized that uh, many people who actually go into chiropractic have never received chiropractic care throughout their life. Um, and there really is something that's novel to a lot of people. So I got into chiropractic to manage my migraines, and I did see uh, quite a significant improvement within that. And so my journey led me to a chiropractic college where I realized that a majority of our education is really uh, how to be a provider. So a lot of people don't realize that you are considered a portal of entry provider, which means that we do have to be able to diagnose and treat various conditions that are not just musculoskeletal. And so throughout that journey, that is where I was exposed to neuroanatomy and understanding how different pathways in the brain communicate and send messages up uh, to cortical and subcortical areas, which is basically the big brain and the little brain, which is the brainstem. And this is what led me to really start investigating how that plays a role with conditions like migraine. Um, and because I'm a huge nerd and I love clinical neuroscience, I, I go on PubMed basically daily and I look at research and I try and analyze and understand how things connect together. I was able to really find that there are a lot of people with migraine who also have this autonomia, which means that people who have migraines also have an increased prevalence of having brainstem dysfunction. And so these brainstem dysfunctions are treated very differently. Some of the most common ones are things like POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia. And this is really the area that now I specialize in and analyze because it's very common for someone with migraines, for instance, to have anisocoria, which is basically a difference in pupil size, right? And you might look in the mirror and say, wow, you know, my right pupil doesn't look like my left. And it's just always been like that. And we don't think anything of it. And that's because in functional neurology, we're not looking at pathology. We're looking at function of the brain, meaning if your brain was doing really well, your pupils should be equal, right? Now, when the pupils are not equal, it doesn't mean that there's a tumor or a mass or pathology or emergency, but it certainly means that, hey, something with that upper brainstem may not be working as well as it could be. 
Right. That's very exciting. You got into it to kind of solve a personal need or problem, therefore expanding your knowledge base. And now you're able to help a multitude of people with that. I know that's not only what you specialize in. If you'd be so kind as to share your other specialties, I know that we'd enjoy learning about those. Yeah, absolutely. In my background, I've worked with extensively with traumatic brain injuries. Uh, that means that I, I used to see individuals who've come from the Shepherd Center that's located in Atlanta. And basically, traumatic brain injuries are, are going to be, uh, you know, anoxic brain injuries where maybe someone's gone without oxygen for a certain amount of time, or we're talking about, you know, an incident like a stroke, a heart attack. Um, and these types of conditions, really, typically, we kind of go through the typical route of what is accessible. And then uh, these patients are just kind of left on their own, which means that the families are full-time caretakers, and really my job within this field is to provide hope and reality that we do have neuroplasticity, we do have the capacity to change the brain, and we can't always return all function in those types of individuals, but we can certainly alleviate and make life a little bit better, right? So in cases where someone has a traumatic brain injury, depending on the severity, sometimes you're relearning basic things like breathing, swallowing, right? Those functions that we really take for granted. Um, other areas of experience that I have are in childhood um, and adult learning and behavior disorders. That means that, um, you know, we're talking about the realm of ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, right? Um, and that's a passion of mine because I've always struggled in school, actually, when I was younger. And there's nothing like really feeling like you can't do school in seventh grade, right? That's going to really discourage you from going after that career that you want to have, or really it's going to limit how you perceive yourself and what your capabilities are. And all that could be from a simple learning disorder, right? And so how I view things like that is really from a frontal lobe perspective. And so there's a lot that can be done for that. And then an area that I recently specialized in was exclusively dysautonomia. And again, that's primarily uh, treating POTS. And so Unfortunately, right now, POTS is um, really, really prevalent. We're seeing that correlated with the pandemic. And there's a lot of research showing that association as well. And so what you're really looking for with POTS is you're seeing that someone who is dealing with this condition may not be able to regulate their heart rate. And this is usually going to happen when they're changing positions from laying to standing or standing uh, to walking, right? So essentially, we're seeing an increase of over 30 beats per minute. And the heart rate is essentially doing doing whatever it wants to on its own. So it's dysregulated. And this is the most common type of dysautonomia that's been correlated with post-pandemic effect. And so one thing that's really interesting is because with long COVID, right, we're just now seeing the impact of all of that and working in a clinic where exclusively saw POTS, um, it definitely was very eye-opening. And now that I've gotten into really localizing just on migraine, I was just looking at research yesterday, and they're showing that uh, COVID uh, is actually triggering migraine in people who never had migraines before. And so it's not to say that it comes out of nowhere. These are people who have a genetic predisposition. And this is really where a term epigenetics plays a role, right? That means that we can turn genes on and we can turn genes off. And that's how someone may have a family history of autoimmune condition, but never develop it or have a history of migraine, but never develop it until maybe let's say they have a concussion, right? So uh, basically what we're seeing is that long COVID is impacting all dysautonomias and it's certainly driving and changing migraine where someone may have had migraines that were once a month and now they're, you know, happening five, six times a month, or they had migraines that were primarily head pain and now they have aura, right? Uh, which is, is like it, visual symptoms. Is that where... Is it the same aura as in the name of your, your business? Yes, that is exactly why I named my business. I thought, you know, no one can pronounce aura. So if you know what aura is, uh, you probably are at the right place. And if you don't know, then aura is also energy, which yes, I feel like it's good to I have mean, positive yeah, energy aura, out there yeah. too. Very cool. And I was going to ask you that. So I'm glad we were able to tie that together. Mr. Paul Webb, share with us how you kind of started your organization, a little bit about Webb Wealth Advisors. I mean, your name is in the company. So uh, mission, values, depth and breadth. Sure. Thank you so much, Amanda. I appreciate it. Yes, Webb Wealth Advisors. Been in business several years. And I came from a background, as I had said before, in college with an economics degree. So I consider myself an economist and uh, also with the uh, master's in business administration and finance from University of Southern California, 
very blessed to have started a great career. And so I spent several years at a variety of firms um, in the uh, wealth management area and grew and developed uh, those clients and then was able to break out on my own uh, several years ago and um, able to help a lot of people. So um, I believe that if you have the right plan, you need a plan. And number one, you need a plan. Uh, that you can have a successful retirement, a successful life by good money management. So simple, basic stuff. For you, Paul, because you're an expert, for someone like myself, it's not quite as simple. And I'm going to put you in the hot seat. What would you suggest for folks like ourselves who are combining lives or recently combined Mm -hmm. lives in, you know, mid-30s type type Mm -hmm. realm to kind of get into? What's the best advice you could give to start that preparation and planning for people like ourselves yes number one set a budget know what your expenses are and what you're spending and um and and versus your income develop a plan whereby you have some money set aside that you're putting towards a tax free or tax deferred type of ira fund and uh continue to invest in that because in 20 or 30 years you're going to have over a million dollars if invested properly and, and managed properly. And, and you know, it, it just takes discipline. Number one, uh, you don't want to go out to eat a lot. And that's one of the biggest expenses out there, particularly when you throw in a couple, couple uh, alcoholic beverages. So uh, it can get very expensive. So planning in terms of setting a budget, uh, following that budget and putting aside a certain amount of money monthly going towards a tax free retirement income. What are some common mistakes that people make that leave them kind of out in the cold in mm-hmm. their golden years? Yes, yes. Several could be if you participated too much in the stock market. So it goes great. It grows. Everything's great. Everybody's happy. Uh, but that market also goes down significantly. And if you have all your eggs in one basket per se, then you can lose a lot of money. Like in 2008, a lot of people were ready to retire, and that hit, and their 401k became a 201k, and uh, they had half of what they had accumulated, all lost through stock market loss. It's very important to set up a portfolio where you have some buckets, some risk playing in the market, but then also tax-free, tax-deferred with zero floors, so your investments can't lose any money. So that's probably the biggest thing I would say is not relying too heavily on the market, particularly you as you get older, because you don't have the time you had as a young person to recoup any losses. And who wants to lose money anyhow? So I always ask the folks that are getting near retirement, how much are you okay losing? And the answer is always, I don't want to lose any. anything. Yeah. So we can protect that. I, I work, my biggest practice is in safe money. And that is uh, really one of my missions and values is to protect people's investment. Number one, investments that they have so far, their nest egg that they've earned, grow it safely, protect it from any loss, and do so as much as possible being tax-free or tax-deferred. Paul, one thing I would say on this is that I'm a, a generation or so past you, and from experience, I can, I can say that you are providing a very valuable service. And I encourage people to, our listeners today, to get in touch with you. Uh, there's one word that comes to mind, which I imagine you deal with constantly, and that's procrastination. Yes, sir. You know, um, and one of the definitions I've heard of procrastination is procrastination is the art of keeping up with yesterday. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) But, but it doesn't do as much good for the future. And there's a, there's a strong tendency and, and I've been there where you keep saying, well, yes, we, we know we need a plan. As you say, we know we need an advisor, but we'll, we'll get to that next year. And, and, just in a, I, I guess a similar category. There, there are so many people who, who don't even have a will. I know attorneys who don't even have a will. Right. And again, it's that we'll get to that next month, or we'll get to that next uh, year. We're still so young; we don't need to do that. But time does pass, and time doesn't forgive. So I applaud what you're doing. 
Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Dr. Bill. Deanna, that kind of leads me to something in your world, and that's preparation for the future. Now, being that you are in the holistic realm of medicine, what are some things that you recommend to your clients or that you just tell any friend or uh, community member that they could be doing to prepare for longevity or to be in their best health as they continue to grow? So when it comes to really cognitive decline, cognitive uh, impairment, there are a lot of things that really are going to play a role from earlier in life. Um, When we take a look at, for instance, even Alzheimer's, I don't think a lot of people know that the nickname for Alzheimer's is type 3 diabetes, right? If we knew that, we maybe would say, hey, what's going on with the blood sugar? Maybe that's playing a role here, right? And so what we're really talking about is a lot of times dietary changes as well as activities. And when we're talking about even things like retirement, sometimes that can be one of the worst things you can do for your brain. And it's not that we don't need to retire or save for retirement or enjoy life, but if you're going to give up your career, you need to have some pretty extensive hobbies. You need to be volunteering. You need to have accountability and a new set of skills that you're learning still every year. And that is because when we retire, sometimes all we do is we hang out with the same four people that we know, we eat the same meal, we look at the same pictures on our wall, and we don't do anything new. And when our brain is on autopilot, just like sometimes when you're driving on the road you've been on, you know that your brain is not working, right? We just got here. We don't even know how. And so it's important to still have novelty, which means new experiences. So it's important to save before you retire so that you can actually go on vacations, see the world, do those things that you've been wanting to do instead of sitting at your home, right? And just letting the last couple decades of your life go by. And so uh, there's a lot with diet. There's a lot with uh, different therapies that have been shown to help with things like cognitive decline. One of them is actually hyperbaric. Um, It's really interesting that I guess you would, wouldn't be surprised to know that extra oxygen to your brain is going to help your brain, right? So that's this concept that's pretty easily understood by most people. And really, we're talking about that using in studies with mild hyperbaric oxygen therapy, that even just using uh, that therapy alone without any types of cognitive training, you can improve cognitive scores. And so there are a lot of things and new therapies and novelties that are out there that people are not familiar with. And so a couple key terms that would be good to look at would be things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, another term called photobiomodulation. It's just a fancy term for light therapy, right? And these are not technologies that are so new that people aren't using them. They're just typically not offered in your regular medical practice, but it doesn't mean that these aren't therapies that are worth investigating for yourself. Sometimes people have these types of therapies even at home for home use. So it's really important to really see what capacities we have for improving our brain function and realizing that unfortunately or fortunately, we really have to be our own biggest advocates, which means that if you're not reading research, it's really difficult for you to really keep up with what's going on. And so uh, that's a big part of what I'm trying to do is also provide a lot of content for education for people who are not nerds like me, who don't like reading research, but maybe want to get a summary of it. And so um, I try and provide as much wealth of knowledge because uh, education is, is power, right? We have to be able to know what's going on with our own bodies and especially our own brains. I love that. Education is power. Um, For those of you just joining us, we are here on Forsyth Business Radio. I am your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo, and we have joining us in studio today, Dr. Bill Lampton, also Dr. Deanna Tyler, and Paul Webb as well. Very interesting. Do you write blogs? I do write blogs. I actually just recently established here, so I'm still working on some of those aspects, but there's definitely going to be a lot of blogs posted, but I also make a lot of educational videos, and and those are through my uh, Instagram as well as I am a a big TikTok person Mm because I am only... Uh, 29, right? So um, I try and really go to the areas where I'm going to get as much exposure because, again, in cases with things like migraine, you know, I just made a video today about how there's, there's research showing that vitamin E can be helpful for hormonal migraine. And had I known that, you know, 10 years ago, I mean, it's everywhere, right? There's right. multiple research studies, the information's out there, but we're not really digging around looking for it. And so it might job really is to bring education on how to best manage some of these conditions and what are things that people can do from home and what are things that require working with a provider to help with as well. I will have to look you up on TikTok. I do not have an account that reflects me. I have a watcher or ghost account um, just named my dog's name with a picture because I don't do the TikToks, but I like to watch 
the TikToks. <laughs> so I'll have to check you out. I was not really a technology person at all, but I think when you get into business, you kind of have to be. And, um, and you know, education is, is powerful and whatever avenues work, right? So for some people, it's more on air and this is how they prefer to learn. And it's all based on learning styles. And so some people are extremely visual. Um, and so I try and kind of account for, for all of those personalities. Good for you. And congratulations. Thank you. Um, Dr. Bell, I'm going to bounce it back to you now. Okay. And kind of like we're doing here, uh, we're all participating in the conversation from a communication standpoint. I'd like for you to share the importance of engaging with the audience and their participation. Yes, I I, I think um, I mean, one thing that I put on on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, audiences uh, like to have interaction, as as you're indicating. One of the one of the ways people, leaders and and speakers and MCs fail sometimes is that they use the old tried and true methods. So I put on LinkedIn one that has worked for me, and it it worked very well even with when I was fortunate enough to be with very large audiences. And that is to take your handheld mic, and everyone is expecting you to stay in place. But staying in place is rather traditional. It's rather dull. So the very first thing I have done in many keynote speeches is take my mic, walk to the very back row, look at those sitting there, and say, you didn't expect to see me, did you? Ah, I love that. <laughs> and it, it demonstrates two or three things. One, it demonstrates that you're not tied to a podium or a lectern. It demonstrates you're not tied to your notes. It demonstrates that you're not relying on PowerPoint, that you're spontaneous, and it gives a sense of hey, this is, this is a relaxed setting. This guy or this lady who goes to the back of the room and says hi to us first and circulates, how many times have, uh, they, 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 they're going to want to interact with that, that leader? How many times have we seen major performers, and I'm thinking of singers and comedians who will take that mic and they go out and yeah. they, they go among the audience and all of a sudden they're not somebody up there distant. They're one of us. One of us yeah. It's funny you say that. I know you weren't there because it was a women's event. Uh, the Mitsubishi Electric Classic Golf Tournament held at TPC Sugarloaf annually. Yes. The first day of the um, tournament, they have a women's executive day. I'd love for you to join me next year if you'd like, Diana. And I, I actually moderate that panel. So I, just because of my ADHD, am unable to stand at the podium. I grab the mic and I walk. I walk all around the room. And it does exactly what you said. It kind of throws people for a loop. They're like, whoa, you're back there and you're talking. I didn't know that. But also what I found with the handheld mic, when it comes to Q&A at the end, I'm already out there in the audience and I can just hand them my microphone. I'm not reliant on uh, an audiovisual assistant to come and run them a mic. So as you mentioned, it's putting yourself there as one of the people. Yes, and I underscore what you're saying about the handheld mic, not just for you, but it makes it so easy for someone else. You're on a topic, and you say to one of the participants, uh, what, what's your take on this? Um, have you had an experience along these lines? And since you have set an informal tone, usually they will chime in mm -hmm. and uh, contribute something very relevant to the conversation. Takes that stage right away. It does. And the thing that's interesting with ADHD is, you know, we we all have something, right? What that means is that we have efficiencies and inefficiencies within our brain. And whether or not we have a diagnosis is basically based on how much is this impacting your quality of life, right? And your daily function. And they've actually uh, done some interesting research on why there is fidgeting and things like ADHD and, and women ADHD presents very differently than men. Women's ADHD is more internal. You tend to be diagnosed with things like anxiety. Uh, for men, it's very external. But the whole point is that we really have to understand that the movement actually fires your cerebellum, which is going to allow for you to send feedback up to your frontal lobe. So movement is very soothing for someone with ADHD. You'll see this with tapping. You'll see this with hand movements. You'll see this with chewing where someone will 
will say, hey, when I chew gum, I can focus better. And that's not that's a crazy. that's not a miracle, right? That's mm-hmm. understanding neuroanatomy and how our brain interprets the environment. So moving is the best thing for someone who has ADHD. And that's why exercise is such a profound thing as well. Move. Oh, that's amazing. I have a fidgeter in my purse. <laughs> Those were the greatest invention. Paul, do you mind if I share um, your recent procedure? Sure. So Paul just actually had hip surgery. So this brings me to Paul as you were talking about the importance of movement um, as it relates personally and to business as well. Paul, share a little bit about your experience through those surgeries and having to regain momentum and how that translates not only to your personal life, but how you pour into your business. Sure. Um, number one, um, hip surgeries got very advanced these days. Like you have your hip surgery, you go in at 5.30 in the morning, uh, around 8 o'clock, once your feet become unnumb or your, your lower body becomes unnumb from the spinal tap, you're able to begin walking. And it's also a little bit of relearning how to go up uh, stairs and stuff so they have a short little thing. So they test you out to make sure you're fine. They put you with a walker, but you walk out on your own strength. So that's phenomenal. It also gives you confidence because, hey, I'm up and walking. I got my new hip. And a lot of people get immediate relief if they've had severe arthritis or they just haven't had good movement. And and they're able to move. Now, you just got cut wide open, so there's a big swollen surgery area. But uh, you work through that. It gives you confidence. You make progress each day. There's a lot of steps to it as far as the physical therapy and everything. But once you come back, then you feel renewed. I have two good, two great hips now having had the left hip done in 2021 and the right hip in 2023. So I feel like I'm going to have mobility, you know, for the next 40 years and I'll be able to walk more. And I know walking creates oxygen in the brain to your point, Dr. Tyler. Um, and that, that makes you more alive and, and active, uh, and more thoughtful. And in my business, it just inspires me. It gives me energy. Also, I encourage people that, you know, have had real bad arthritis or really struggled. Yes, men can, particularly men, can be very, very stubborn. I don't want to do that. I, you know, I, I'll work through it. I'll get some injections. I had a couple injections in my whole life. Men, leg stubborn? Leg. What's he talking about? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So... It's been a real blessing for me. I'm just happy to have two great legs. I was so blessed in my career of running 80,000 miles as a long-distance runner, and that's what put me in this position where I had all the arthritis and the failed hips. Hold on. He just said 80,000 miles to date. He has covered with his two feet. I I hope he had some breaks in there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it was over many, many years, and it's just the wear and tear beats up your body, so you got to get it fixed. That's remarkable, Paul. And he walked up the stairs in here today, folks, for this interview. So hats off to you. Thank you. Dr. Tyler, I'm curious. Is there anything that you could or would do for someone like Paul um, with your with your knowledge base? So when it comes to surgical sites, there's a lot of inflammation. Uh, The biggest thing that people really don't talk about is fascia. So fascia is what overlaps your muscle. Um, It's basically what's going to connect all the muscle groups together. And when we cut through tissue, whether we have a scar inflicted or whether we have a big surgical procedure, there's a lot of adhesions. That means that things kind of stick together and we start losing normal range of motion. That's why really doing your physical therapy and all those exercises that they tell you that most of us don't do is really, really important, right? Uh, When the scar tissues healing movement is really therapeutic, right? Obviously in the right doses and not trying to aggravate things, but we also have to control the inflammation, which is going to help with the adhesions in the first place. So inflammation is a natural part of healing. We need inflammation. It's it's how our, our body regenerates itself. But when it's excessive, we can start having negative impacts from it. And so one of the things that I like to use for post-surgical treatment is things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, or even the red light therapy. So uh, those are modalities that have been shown to decrease inflammation and and really speed up healing. Uh, Hyperbaric oxygen therapy has actually been studied for things like stem cells. Um, And so basically uh, activating your own ability to heal and repair tissue, right? So, but to his point, you know, about movement and about getting so many more decades of movement, 
Uh, movement is key. If we're not moving, our brains is not processing information. That's why when someone does have a traumatic brain injury, for instance, and they can't move their wheelchair bound, even if you're moving their legs for them and they're getting that input, even wow. that is stimulating. The visual input from walking and, and walking by rows of, uh, you know, aisles of a, a, a grocery store is stimulation to your brain constantly. And so being upright and being against gravity is really um, profound for brain function and brain development. And that's why when kids start walking, you see their brain and their capacity exponentially expand, right? And so they start getting new skills and, and, and abilities just from the fact that they can now hold against gravity. And that's showing the different parts of their brain are now turned on and active. I would, I would guess, and, and I'd like your comment on this, I would think that the, the sedentary lifestyle that so many people have, they're at work all day if they're still in an office setting, and they, they sit down, and then they come home, and they cut on the TV, and they sit down. I would, I would imagine from what you're saying that that's a, a root cause of many physical problems. It really is, and, you know, honestly – the sedentary lifestyle can be sneaky, right? Even for someone who's health conscious, there's times where, you know, I've had my Apple watch on or a Fitbit in the past. And it's like, wow, I've walked 3000 steps all day. Like, you know, and you don't realize how little we sometimes move because everything is accessible, right? You walk down the stairs, you get in your car, get out of the car, you walk 10 feet because you want to park right next to where you're going. Mm -hmm. And so the reality is that it really has to be intentional if we want to move, but it's also important to find movement that you actually enjoy joy, right? And and also movement that's not going to down in the long term cause more issues than benefit. And so just like with exercise, anything in excess can be a lot on our bodies. So it's about that fine balance. And so I will say my favorite way to move is actually yoga. Um, and that's because I consider yoga to be uh, really helpful for mindfulness. It's extremely helpful for the fascia that we talked about. It's really good for balance and vestibular rehab. So it does a lot of the things that I work on, right? It's basically working on your balance every day, which is the number one reason older individuals die um, is actually from accidental falls. And so wow. working on your balance uh, through things like yoga uh, really can be helpful. And it's a type of movement that's really easy on the joints. They have chair yoga, they have uh, yin yoga, goat yoga, and they have goat yoga. Yeah, Hi. most importantly, Let's right? Let's try that. You, I, you I've always wanted yoga? to. I'd be up for some goat yoga. Goat yoga, goat yoga Dr. Bill? Whatever that is. We're doing it. I'm so getting a group basically, together. Basically yoga and uh, in the, pen with goats. In the company of goats. I bet it smells delightful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just uh, don't want to be butted. <laughs> They're just kidding around, Dr. Bill. <laughs> I told you that this this show that there was no narrative and, and no rhyme or reason. So this is depictive of my brain. I do want to kind of weave in some important things. And it is of those who have been influential in your world. So I see three successful business leaders here in front of me. And I'm curious because success looks different to everybody. Who is somebody that has been influential throughout your journey or somebody that you admire that kind of helped pave the way for where you're at today, if that's the correct term? And whoever uh, would like to go first, please jump in. Sure, I'll grab that one. First of all, when I was 12 years old, I uh, met a coach, Granger and Caro, uh, back in Richmond, Virginia. And um, I was 12 years old running in gym class, and he saw me run. He goes, do you realize you could be a world record holder one day? <laughs> Just a 12-year-old kid running in gym class, and I won the gym race. So, And uh, he nearly made me that. And uh, so as a kid, you're so influenced by what people tell you that, that open your eyes to believing the impossible could be possible. So I started with that. That led my way to a full scholarship to go to Virginia Military Institute, which led me to my military and uh, uh, economics uh, career and uh, in finance, uh, University of Southern California. So he was probably the, one of the greatest influences in my life. And, uh, and also my father, he was disciplined, really work ethic and, and all those good things. So very And blessed. now you are that for your children as well. Yes. And the community also. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Paul is heavily Thank involved you. in nonprofit organizations. He supports me through the family promise of Forsyth. And what was the other one that we spoke about? Jesse's house or? Yes. I think it was Jesse's. Jesse's house. Yes. Here in the Forsyth area. For me personally, I would say definitely my mom. Um, and that's because sometimes I think we can take things for granted looking back and, and how 
open-minded someone can be. Um, my mom, had, for her own journey, she she's always been in finance, and she, she's worked with a lot of uh, coaches. And I think it just over years kind of rubs off on you. She's actually a personal um, coach as well, a business coach now. And she uses a lot of her work is based off like Bob Proctor, and it's about um, basically affirmations and manifesting and, and having the right mindset and law of attraction, law of vibration, right, all that good stuff. And when I was younger... I don't feel like it was ever doubted, like what I wanted to do. It was always really casual, like, oh, yeah, I'll just be, you know, a chiropractor. And, and I was like, yeah, now I'm going to go ahead and just now specialize in neurology. And um, for most people, you know, they've always just kind of believed in me very blindly, almost in a sense where I'm like, whoa, all these people think I can do this, right? And so I think it really is a feedback system where sometimes we, we are people who need external motivation and some people are very internal and really about understanding which one you're more like, I think can be really helpful in, in pushing you forward. And so for me, it's definitely uh, kind of the attitude of you can do anything that you want, um, and which is how my family is. I love that. Shout out to her mom. Thank you. Happen to be listening out there. Dr. Bill. I mentioned at the outset of this show that I'm really in my third career. First was teaching communication at the University of Georgia, and then spending 20 years in management trying to apply communication theory. So when I switched to become a professional speaker, speech coach, and consultant, I, I, really, um, I really had a lot to learn. And the main thing that I was very deficient in was technology. I think Dr. Deanna mentioned that we, uh, many of us have run from t technology, and then finally we realized we had to learn it. So I was very fortunate. I was at the Georgia chapter of the National Speakers Association, had been going there a short time, and a guy comes up to me and says, you got a website? And I said, yes. And he said, well, call me when you really want audio on one. And I thought, audio mm -hmm. on a website? <laughs> so he became my mentor, Mike Stewart. He first was known as the Internet Audio Guy. Then he became the Internet Video Guy. He's been my uh, mentor, coach, advisor, teacher since 1997. He's the one who uh, currently is and will be ongoing hosting my uh, podcast, which is the Biz Communication Show. And he... Uh, he dragged me kicking and screaming into technology. But this is a guy when the Internet came along in the, the, um, 25 years ago, he saw what, what it was going to yeah. be, and he's been at the forefront of, front of it ever since. And he also is a guy who has believed in me, and that's important. I remember those days. They were the dial-up days. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I remember very well my brother calling me one time and saying, have you got email? And I said, what is that? He said, it's electronic mail. I said, do you get that at the post office? <laughs> <laughs> How far we've come. I do still enjoy um, receiving hand handwritten cards, and I do that for myself, for my family, and for clients as well because it's, it's just so meaningful, especially today with all the technology advancements. So few do it. The only thing is now we don't know how to spell anything because of spell check. Spell check, right? so absolutely. So now we have to go and verify. Um, I think the world's definitely changed uh, when it comes to technology, but it's also changing brains, right? Because handwriting is a, an important skill that really develops your cerebellum. And so we're really missing some of these developmental milestones for kids that are in uh, you know early elementary school uh, because there's a lot of benefit of the things that of how we used to do them. Obviously, there's advances in technology, which are also driving different parts of the brain, right? Even video games can be beneficial to some extent, but not when we're abusing them, right? right. And so it's definitely going to be interesting to see how these generations change and, and how they really perceive their environment now that we're kind of living in this technology world. Very nice. I told you that I wouldn't keep you guys uh, beyond 40 minutes, and here we are at the hour mark. So I do just want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners how they can find you, um, who you're looking to connect with, and where they might find some of your resources online should they like to learn more. And we'll start with you, Dr. Bill. My website is, since I'm the biz communication guy, quite logically, my website is biz, B-I-Z, biz communication guy. Dot com, And on there, I 
uh, invite you to, to review my services for corporations and for leaders. You also on there can sign up for my podcast. So bizcommunicationguy.com. I welcome phone calls from people who want to discuss their communication problems and challenges. My phone number is 678-316-4300. And I would welcome a non-obligatory, no-committal initial call to find out what's going on with you in the area of communication and how I can assist you. Very nice. Dr. Tyler here. You can reach us at www.aurafnc.com. So that's A-U-R-A-F-N-C.com. And on the website, you'll see that you can actually schedule a complimentary consultation. This is done via telehealth, so it can be done from uh, within this state or even out of the country, uh, which is something that we often see. And uh, after you schedule that complimentary consultation, that is when I can kind of see if someone is a good fit for the practice and really how we can start to help you. Uh, I also am on social media. Uh, I'm a little bit on TikTok as well as Instagram. So you should be able to find me under Aura Functional Neurology and um, just reach out if you have any questions or concerns or just want to learn more about functional neurology. And the brick and mortar that you just celebrated the grand opening is located where? So the address is on Perkle Ferry Park, which is downtown Cumming. And it's uh, Suite A200 at 309 Perkle Ferry Road. Very nice. Thank you. And Paul. Awesome. Thank you, Amanda. My website is www.webwealthadvisors. And on there, you'll find a multitude of information and education about um, things to do with your money, how how to do it, um, things, services that we offer, and all things about wills and trusts and just a uh, a thorough retirement planning A to Z uh, information. And our offices are right here, as Amanda referred to, at uh, 314 Tribble Gap Road here right in Cumming. And um, our phone number is 678-410-7902. And we host educational seminars as well over here at the uh, Forsyth Rec Center um, on an ongoing basis. We're going to have one at the end of August. And um, so, yeah, so I encourage you to as well engage with me, contact me for a non-obligatory uh, consultation on your financial situation, whether you have a lot of money or you want a lot of money or, or where you're at, and we'll, we'll meet you where you are and do what we can to do the very best for you and your family. Show me the money, Paul. Yes, Show ma'am. Show me the money. Yes, yes, yes. It's my money, and I want it now. And I want it now. You know right. what? I always said, this is a side note, if I ever got arrested, I only know my mom's phone number by heart and J.G. Wentworth. I don't even know my husband's number by heart yet. So because of that commercial, it's my money and I want to know. I know that phone number. So that's just a a testament to good marketing. Just drill it into your head. You guys, I enjoyed our time together. Thank you for sharing your expertise. For all of you listening out there, um, you can listen to these shows 24-7 online by going to businessradiox.com and selecting the Forsyth Studio. Again, we want to thank our partners here at the Forsyth County Chamber of Commerce, where we broadcast live. I am your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo, and I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. I'll spell that last name for you. It is P-E-A-R-C-H space M-A-R-M-O-L-E-J-O. And for our guests today, Dr. Bill and Dr. Tyler and Paul Webb, again, this has been Forsyth Business Radio on Business Radio X. 